Chapter Four of Giacomo Puccini by Wakeling Dry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Levili. The Dalverme Theatre, where Puccini's first opera was produced, has been the scene of many experiments in the art of opera. More than one composer has been able to get a hearing there, if no more, and among the list of trials and experiments, the value of which, taken as a whole, will doubtless some day be accounted at their proper worth, and which still comes out like shades of the night, to remind us how little we appreciate native endeavor, are to be found the names of more than one English composer. Among the notable successes which have been first launched at this theatre is Leoncavallo's I Pagliacci. The cast and general production of Levili, as has been mentioned, was apparently more or less in the nature of a friendly helping hand, held out to the unknown composer. The first performance was on May 31, 1884, and the cast as follows. Anna, Caponetti, Roberto, D'Andrade, Guglielmo Wulf, Peltz. When one thinks of modern extravagance, supposedly so necessary for the production of a new play or musical piece, it is little short of amazing to learn that the first performance of Levili cost a little over twenty pounds. Of course, the main expenses were the costumes and the copying of the orchestral parts. Puccini's fellow students, with that generous enthusiasm which is ever part of the artistic temperament, cheerfully swelled the ranks of the theatre orchestra, and Messrs. Ricordi printed the libretto for nothing. Levili met with a favourable verdict, and Puccini's mother received the following telegram on the night of its production. Theatre packed. Immense success. Anticipations exceeded. Eighteen calls. Finale of first act encored thrice. The outcome of it all was that Messrs. Ricordi not only bought the opera, but commissioned Puccini to write another, thus beginning an association which has not only been marked by commercial success, but by a very real and close friendship. The following year it was given in a slightly revised version, divided into two acts, at the Scala, Milan, that temple of operatic art which is the mecca of every aspiring Italian musician. This performance took place on January 24th, and was conducted by Faccio, the cast being Pantaleoni, Anton, and Menotti. It was not published by Ricordi until 1897, when it appeared with an English version of Fontana's libretto by Percy Pinkerton. In this year, it was done at Manchester at the Comedy Theatre by Mr. Arthur Rousby's company, Mrs. Arthur Rousby being the Anna, Mr. Henry Beaumont being the Roberto, and Mr. Frank Land the Wolf. Mr. Edgardo Levy conducted. Fontana's story was a curious one to be dealt with by a southern poet, for the basis of Levili is found in one of those curious northern legends which seem to be the exclusive property of natures of far sterner mould. The Vilis, or witch-dancers, are spirits of damsels who have been betrothed and whose lovers have proved false. Garbed in their bridal gowns, they rise from the earth at midnight and dance in a sort of frenzy, till the dawn puts an end to their weird revelry. Should they happen to meet one of their faithless lovers, they beguile him into their circle with fair promises. But, like the sirens of old mythology, they do so only to take their revenge. For once within their magic ring, the unrestful spirits whirl their victim round and round, until his strength is exhausted, and then, 
in fiendish exultation leave him to die in expiation of his broken vows the scene of levili is laid in the black forest an open clearing shows us the cottage of wulf behind which a pathway leads to some rocks above half hidden by trees a rustic bridge spans a defile and the exterior of the cottage is decorated with spring flowers for the festival of betrothal with this his first opera puccini adopted the wagnerian plan which he has since always adhered to of a preludial introduction indicative of the general atmosphere of the drama to follow in place of the conventional overture as the curtain rises wolf anna and roberto are seated at a table outside the cottage and the chorus hail the betrothed pair in a joyful measure as the lovers move off to the back the chorus tells something of the prospects of the two young people roberto is the heir of a wealthy lady in mayence he will have to visit her for the arrangement of the details of his inheritance and will then return to wed the bride the chorus then sings a characteristic waltz measure whirling and turning and singing that the dance is the rival of love it is a quick impulsive measure in a minor and foreshadows in a clever way the weird dance which later on plays such an important part in the scheme guglielmo the father is asked to join in the dance and he does so after a short instrumental passage leading back to the dance and chorus proper guglielmo dances off with his partner and the stage is clear anna comes down alone as the orchestra finish off the rhythmic figure of the waltz she holds a bunch of forget-me-nots in her hand and sings of remembrance in a characteristic melody which at once reveals puccini's individuality both in melody and structure it varies considerably in the time and has all that impulsive charm of movement with which puccini always fits the situation and the sentiment in actual structure the melody moves along in flowing vocal phrases but they invariably drop on to an unexpected note and reveal thereby the piquancy of flavor which makes them singularly attractive anna is putting the bunch of flowers the token of remembrance in roberto's valise when her lover comes in taking the little bunch he kisses it and puts it back and then begs a token more fair a smile a characteristic duet then follows in which anna gives expression to the doubt she feels at her lover's enforced absence a delightfully suave second section is sung by roberto in which he tells her of his love strong and unending born in the happy days of childhood anna catches the spirit of his fervent devotion and the duet ends with their voices blending in a song of triumphant trust the voices end together on a low note but the orchestra carries the melody up to a high c by way of a climax and then gives out a bell-like sound skilfully preceded by a chord of that somewhat abrupt modulation in which puccini always delights which portends the approach of night and the departure of roberto this bell-like note of warning comes in again during the short interlude which leads to the chorus who return to sing of roberto's departure ere the bright beams of sunset fade in the western sky roberto bids anna to be courageous and asks her father's blessing slow and solemn chords usher in guglielmo's touching prayer in which after the opening phrases the lovers join their voices repeating the sentiment of his pious utterances towards the end the full chorus is added to the trio and this solidly written number 
backed by a moving orchestral figure, ends impressively. Anna sings her sad farewell, the voice rising to a characteristic high A, and a short orchestral passage finishes the scene. The second act is headed Forsaken in the score, and to the opening prelude is attached a short note explanatory of what has happened in the meanwhile. In those days there was in Mayence a siren, who bewitched all who beheld her, old and young. Like the presiding spirit of Venusberg, who held Tannhäuser in thrall, so Roberto is attracted to her unholy orgies, and Anna is forgotten. Worn out by grief and hopeless longing, Anna dies, and in the opening chorus of the second act, we learn that she lies on her bier, her features of marble paler than the moonlight. An expressive and solemn funeral march, the main theme of which is indicated by this preceding chorus, is then played by the orchestra, during which the funeral procession leaves Guglielmo's house and passes across the stage. In order to add to the air of mystery, this is directed to be done behind a veil of gauze. At the end, a three-part chorus of female voices chants a phrase of the requiescat. The table curtains are dropped for a change of scene. The place is the same, but the time is winter, and the gaunt trees are snow-laden. The night is clear and starry, and pulsing lights flash from the sides, adding their lurid and fitful brilliance to the calm, cold light of the moon. With a sharp detached full chord in G minor, the weird unearthly dance begins in quick duple time, the quaint rhythmic melody being composed of staccato triplets. Out of the darkness, the figures of the witch dancers appear and join in the dance as the frenzy increases. It is a highly characteristic movement, and one can hardly agree with the critic, who on its first production, as will be seen hereafter, wished that it might be in the major key. For an uncanny, utterly restless and grim effect, most subtly presented by means of purely legitimate music, this number stands as an exceptionally fine example. The dance ends, and the witch dancers are swallowed up in the darkness, while Guglielmo comes out to dwell on the villainy of Roberto and the cruel wrong done to his dead child. The prelude to his plaintive number is prefaced with a striking descending passage for the chorus. As he sings of the pure and gentle soul of his daughter, the legend of the witch dancers comes into his mind, but at once he prays for forgiveness for such unworthy thoughts of vengeance. From a passage for the hidden voices of the sopranos, we expect the approach of Roberto. The recalcitrant lover is startled by the sounds he hears, but he thinks remorse, and not the vilis of the legend, is the cause of it. Into his mind there flashes the remembrance of all that has passed, and he goes towards the cottage door with a pathetic hope that Anna may still be living. But he starts back as some irresistible force compels him to retreat. Again, he thinks a wild fancy has deceived him, but once more the voices sound the note of approaching doom. See, the traitor is coming. He kneels in prayer, but at the end comes in the sinister phrase, See, the traitor is coming. He rises from his prayer to curse the evil influence that has wrought his destruction. Then, at the back, on the bridge, appears the spirit of Anna, Amazed, Roberto exclaims, She is living, not dead. 
but anna replies that she is not his love but revenge and reminds him by a repetition of her solo in the first act when she sang to the bunch of forget-me-nots of all his broken promises roberto joins in this strenuous and moving duet and accepts with resignation the fate that has been too strong for him torn with the anguish of remorse he expresses his willingness to die anna holds out her arms and roberto seems hypnotized gradually the witch dancers come on and surrounding the pair dance once more in a frenzy to carry them off over the characteristic dance is now placed a full chorus the words whirling turning which frequently occur as the movement gains in intensity show the connection with the joyous measure in the first act in this we find one of those effects of unity which although slight enough in many cases reveals the hand if not exactly of a great master of an original thinker and a particularly finished craftsman roberto at the end of the main section of the chorus ending on a long sustained top a and then dropping sharply to the tonic it is still as before in g minor breaks away breathless and terrified and strives to enter the cottage but the spirits drive him again into the arms of anna and once more he is drawn into the whirlpool with a last despairing shriek anna save me he dies and anna with an exultant cry of possession vanishes while the chorus change the words of their song to a shout of exultation by this first effort slight in texture as it is puccini gave unmistakable evidence of that power of giving by a series of detached scenes an idea of impressionistic atmospheric quality which was afterwards so beautifully achieved in his la bohème from the criticism of sala who as we saw in a preceding chapter was present at the meeting at Ponchelli's house which led to the production of the opera we get a sound idea of the general effect and trend of the music which is worth quoting it appeared in italia of the day after the performance at which it may be mentioned moito applauded vigorously from a box it is according to our judgment a precious little gem from beginning to end the prelude not meant to be important is full of delicate instrumental passages and contains the theme afterwards used in the first duet between the lovers the chorus which follows is gay and festive and shows masterly handling of the parts the waltz which we should have preferred in a major key is entrancing one of the most characteristic numbers of the opera is the duet between anna and roberto the prayer of benediction is another inspired page in spite of its length the polyphony of the vocal parts is masterly and the melodic flow most charming the symphonic nature of the intermezzi which connect the scenes more particularly the wild dance of the spirit forms distinctly points to the arrival of a great composer while the salient points of the music appear to have been unerringly seized upon by the writer the subtlety of the composer in making the first dance of the peasants foreshadow the furious revelry of the witch dancers appears to have escaped the critic but this desire for strongly marked effects is after all essentially typical of the race in italy the clear radiant sky the pure air the glorious strength of the light does not permit of an appreciation for half-tones and the fascination of shadows 
if all need not exactly be dazzlingly bright it must be quite distinct Nevili was a remarkable first opera but it has not succeeded in keeping a place in the current repertory the music is unquestionably dramatic but the whole structure words and music has not that quality of characterization which together with the necessary dramatic force makes up the theatrical effectiveness without which no opera can ever expect to hold the stage to use a hackneyed phrase Levili has the defects of its qualities but from the freshness and individuality of its music there is no reason why it should not be given in our concert rooms as a cantata the dance movement after all would lose nothing by being given as an orchestral piece and the spirit forms might well be left to the imagination at any rate Levili is by a very long way a far greater work than many a so-called dramatic cantata these things take place in our provincial towns of the opera abroad and since we do not appear in the least likely to establish opera houses it would be a good plan for the british composer to take puccini's levili as an example of what might be done with a cantata an opera after all played without action or scenery End of chapter 4